This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, for our worship gathering online here at Le- here at Leewood. Um, hope that this time will be a help and, and blessing to you. Thanks for joining us today. We have the privilege of having a church planner, Nathan Chang, um, sharing um, out of Philippians chapter two with us. Nathan and his core team that are seeking to start a church in the next year have been meeting on our uh, facility at our church campus here. And um, so we just wanted to give uh, Nathan an opportunity to share with our faith family. Just want to say thank you to the Leewood family for being generous with the facility God has given us. And because of your generosity, you have the opportunity to be involved in a new church that's going to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have, the, have had the opportunity to be involved in church planning as Nathan and his core team have been uh, meeting and gathering here. So we're excited to have Nathan sharing with us as Nathan shares, let's commit to praying for Image Fellowship Church as they seek to get started and the next year to make Jesus known to the ends of the earth. Good morning, Leewood. It's good to be with you, and um, I hope that we can meet someday. Um, these aren't ideal circumstances, but, uh, but um, I'm very glad to be with you um, because the church is more than just a building. So, um, again, I hope to meet you someday, and thank you again. I just echo what Pastor Adam was saying for allowing us to meet in your building, and it's been a blessing to us um, as we uh, um, make plans for a different future. We're looking at probably um, launching in April 2021. We are sending churches, Leewood, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Blue Valley Baptist Church, and um, and we have other multiple supporting churches, and so we're just, uh, we're just so grateful for you guys, and I'm, I'm just so happy to be with you right now. Well, um, Pastor Adam had told me that you guys are going into Philippians, and, and you're exploring the life in Christ as the main theme. And so I've been given the task of preaching Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 30, and my initial thought was, oh my goodness, that's a lot to chew from. So I think what we'll do is we're going to actually just narrow that down to verses 12 to 18, and um, because the, the final parts of that portion is, is about um, Paul's um, um, details about Timothy and Epaphroditus, and so we're just going to narrow that down to verses 12 to 18. And so l- read with me if you have uh, a Bible with you, and I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, this is the Word of the Lord. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. The church in Philippi 
really was a remarkable church, wasn't it? Paul loved this church, and it, was, and it shows in the letter. The gospel that he proclaims to, the, to them in this letter, they already know. What he encourages them to do, they already do. It was their gift to Paul while he was in prison that prompted him to write this joyful letter. But like what all of us need, he continues to remind them of the gospel and encourages them all the more to live the life in Christ. So today, from the Word of God, we're going to be examining our inner lives, our attitudes in the life of Christ. Our attitude matters to God. How we think and feel matters because our behaviors typically reflect them. I mean, you can probably compile stories and tell me about how the church was harmed because of negative attitudes. Or you could tell me other stories, how the church was boosted because of great attitudes and great services as a result. So what we're going to be examining here is Scripture is calling us to rejoice in Christ even in our worst days. But the question obviously is how? How can you maintain joy in the middle of a a pandemic right? A a pandemic that has led to countless furloughs, people getting laid off, friends and relatives getting sick, or worse, maybe you know someone who have lost their lives. How are you, Paul, telling us that we need to rejoice? Well, Paul doesn't leave us hanging. Paul shows us three successive, or he tells us three successive commands that build off one another, that is gospel-driven, and, and you can't take them out of order. They have to be in this order. And so let's look at them one at a time as we think about what it means to rejoice in Christ, even in our worst days. Number one, work out your salvation with tr- fear and trembling v- from verses 12 to 13. Now, right off the bat, it seems like a puzzling statement for us Protestants we're Protestants because we stand with Martin Luther and other reformers 500 years ago on the basis of Scripture that salvation is by faith alone. You cannot attain salvation by works. So what are you talking about, Paul, when you command, work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Well, let's make this clear. Paul is not talking about gaining salvation here. He is saying, work out your own salvation. Salvation is yours. There's nothing to attain. Salvation is the work of God from beginning to end. And in fact, you are not on your own in your works when you attain salvation. Verse 13 says that God works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. More specifically, God, the Spirit is in work in you. The Spirit's presence. If you have the Holy Spirit working inside you, that's evidence that salvation is yours. And that's a good reminder for us. When we think about cultivating joy, despite circumstances as followers of Christ, it doesn't begin with our own strength, our own abilities, or or our own willpower. 
Otherwise, it's impossible. You can't. There's, life goes up and down constantly, so joy can't begin with you. It begins with God. Nothing is impossible for Him. The Spirit executes what seems impossible in your life of Christ. So here's what's interesting. With each command in these passages that we're looking at, these three commands, um, Paul accompanies each command with two attitudes that we either cultivate or we extricate. In this first command, Paul is, 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 is saying that we ought to work our, our salvation in, in general with fear and trembling. Not to be frightened by God or with God, but we respond to the presence of God as we see the Spirit working in our lives with a sense of awe that you have God's presence in you that God is actually with you, that He resides even in the deepest, darkest recesses of your hearts. And He still chooses to be with you, and He works in you, and He transforms you. And there's, there, there ought to be a sense of awe. That is such a, a healthy disposition that, that glorifies God. It worships God. Calvin said that you can't truly know God unless you maintain fear and trembling. Proverbs tells us that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So as you experience your hardship, of course it may compel you to, to, fear, to, to, to despair, to run away, to cope by acting out in an addiction to, in, in all sorts of ways. But what Christ is offering is a different way. Sure, your hardship is big. The answer isn't to belittle your hardship. Your hardship is, is big. The point is, God is bigger. That's what Paul means by looking at God with fear and trembling. That's why Paul can say, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Salvation is yours, Christians, and God is on your side working in you to accomplish his glory. And so we are to live like the Israelites when Joshua led them towards Jericho. And you're, you are familiar with that story, but I want to just point this out to you as an illustration. Um, were they equipped take, to take on the mighty enemy that is Jericho with their massive walls? Uh, no, of course not. Uh, every warfare, uh, con conventional warfare will tell us there is no way Israel could win against Jericho. Nobody would lay their bets on Israel. The difference is God was on Israel's side. They marched on to Jericho with the Ark of the Covenant, which signifies God's presence. So the picture of this, if you can just use your imagination. Imagine you're one of the armed men of Israel. And this is your command. You're, this is the first city you're going to take over. You're finally entering into the promised land. The, 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 the protocol is this. You've got seven priests going, leading the way. Not, not an army. Seven priests with ram's horn playing music that's just probably epic, filling the air. And then you had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what was commanded before they start marching each of the armed men were supposed to pass by the ark. And as they passed by, just imagine being one of the armed men as if you're marching into war. 
you see this golden box. And, and, and this box is so holy, if you were to touch it, you would die. And, and you see the two cherubim kneeling down, facing the seat of mercy with their wings stretched out towards it. And, 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 and you see the presence of God. And at the same time, you hear the music in the air. What is going on, do you think, in those armed men's uh, uh, being? there's so much a sense of fear and trembling of the presence of God, the sense of awe and worship. There's no room for fear of Jericho. That's what our lives ought to be like. That's why Paul says to work out our salvation in fear and trembling. Yes, your your circumstances are like Jericho. It's huge and seemingly impossible but God is bigger. And with the attitude of fear and trembling in place, Paul is now ready and we are ready to be specific on what exactly we are to work out. And so this leads us to Paul's second command. And that is in verses 14 to 16, to do all things without grumbling or questioning Let's unpack these two attitudes. The Greek word for grumble is gungusmus, which means to mutter or to murmur, to grumble, to complain. Parents, you have dealt with this kind of attitude, haven't you? The second word is questioning. I don't really like this translation. It's not a very clear translation. Um, uh, uh, the Greek word is dialogismus, which means, which is where we get the word dialogue. This word, in its context, means to calculate. It's a it's a movement of thought. It's to deliberate, to plot. It's okay to ask questions, but w- but there's something much more deviant going on in this word. Jesus uses the same word when he said in Matthew 15, 19, for from the heart come evil thoughts. And that's the idea here. If you don't have fear or trembling of the Lord in place, what fills in its place, this, this, this kind of attitude develops. This, this, this questioning, this, this, this plotting, these grumbling because now, if you don't have the, the, the Lord to look to for direction, now you are turning to yourself. Your attitude is self-based. You are self-centered. And therefore, this person is confused. And what's dangerous about this person is when this person starts dialoguing with other persons, he or she reinforces in other people to remain in their own prejudices. It's an evil seed that germinates throughout the church. And what happens, and what happens if everybody has their own unchecked attitudes, their own unchecked selfish thoughts or prejudices? Unity breaks down. And when unity breaks down, we can no longer do what Paul has been longing for the church to do, namely to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And and that's what drove Paul, the advancement of the gospel. Grumbling and questioning are such unattractive qualities. It just drains people. 
Francis Chan once joked, there are certain people that just complain and get so angry all the time, the next time he sees them, he just says to them in jokes, what are you mad about this time? Nobody wants to be around these kinds of people. Paul is calling us to be blameless and innocent to the world. Our negative attitudes ought not be a stumbling block for the world to know and receive Jesus. Yeah, how many people do you know have said, I'm done with the church? I don't really need to go to church. My relationship with God is personal. I'm done with organized religion, which of course is a wrong way to think about the church. You don't go to church. You are the church, even in your living room right now. But, but these mistaken conclusions are understandable because they arise from painful experiences. Rather, what we are to be, we are called to be a light in a dark world, like, like stars in a, in a night sky with, without any light pollution, just so brilliant, so attractive, a, a beacon of hope. People in the dark are drawn to the light. They can't help it. It's in their nature. I mean, just go to any comment section of a political website or a news website, and you know what I'm talking about. What do you see? You see meanness. You see bickering. It's an ugly world. People are already broken in general. Why would they have anything to do with a church that whines or is no different from the rest of the world? So to counter this, in Christ, we are to break free from a self-centered attitude. Uh, in verse 16, we hold fast to the word of life. We draw near to the throne. We draw from the well of Christ and we drink and we're satisfied. And it is only then are we able to offer this drink and point people to the well to invite them that they may be drink and be satisfied. This is what Paul longs to see. This is what he works so hard to accomplish. And I hope at Leewood. This is what we hope to see in one another. A church so attractive in how she or he loves one another, the community can't help but be drawn in. So if not grumble in opinion, we got a vacuum here. You can't just say, don't do this. What takes its place? What fills its place? Well, this leads us to Paul's third command, and this is to be glad and rejoice, verses 17 to 18. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said that joy is the serious business of heaven. He also said that, you know, joy can always be found. If you're looking for it, it will be found. Why? Because joy is always accompanied with Christ. Joy is knocking at your door, your door. Will you open the door and let it in because this is Christ knocking at your door? Will you let him in? Will you feast with him? Even in the midst of hardship, he desires to be with you. You might say, well, Nathan, you don't understand, you don't understand my life. You don't know what I've had to endure, what have I had to go through. Well, Paul 
doesn't just talk the talk. He also walks the walk. He says in, in verse 17, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's saying this in prison. He's saying this with, with, no, with, with nothing to be accused with. He is innocent, and yet here he is in prison for preaching the gospel, and yet he rejoices. And he's calling on the church to rejoice with him. I love what um, this one Puritan theologian, um, Henry Skugel, said. He was just a young guy when he died. He was only 28, and yet he left behind a remarkable book called The Life of God in the Soul of Man. And, and, and he says, and there's this amazing quote, and this is a meaty quote, so let me say this slowly. He says this. He says, The worth and excellency of a soul is to be measured by the object of its love. I told you it's meaty. Let me say it one more time. The worth and excellency of the soul is to be measured by the object of its love. Friends, do you see that joy is not based on the ups and downs of our circumstances? It is based on our relationship with Christ. And Christ does not go up and down. He is a solid rock for us. Christ is there for us at all times. And so, therefore, we can rejoice. We can be glad at all times. And we offer this to other people. And so, as we think about this uh, pandemic, as we live our lives, I, I just pray that the church in general, especially Leewood Baptist Church, can be marked by joy. That when people say, they look at this church, there is a joyful community. Let me pray. Father, Lord, we are so grateful for this passage, for this, this timely message um, in and, 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 and times of, of, of difficulty. And I pray, Lord, that we would be a people that would um, not be marked by ups and downs, but be as stable as can be because our object of love is Christ. Spirit, we can't do this without you. We just confess that. We confess that we need your help to work in us, to transform us, to take out the affections that, of the world that distract us from you and to, to point it squarely like a laser towards Christ. And let us be transformed by that. Let us be a people that build people up rather than drain them. Be glorified in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leeway Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Thank you.